The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. I'm picking up right where Danny left off in Mark chapter 2. We're going to actually be doing something a little bit, you know, not typical, where we're going to cover the end of chapter 2 and then begin chapter 3. And, uh, and oh, this text is so, so good. Uh, you know, when you, when you go to prepare a message and you start studying and teaching, there's, there's a small element to, to the preparation and to what you're ultimately looking to communicate is, is there's an element to which you're looking to compel, first of all, myself, but then the body of Christ with what God is saying in the text. And at times, that can be um, something where you have to compel and encourage You know, when God tells us to, to walk worthy of the calling, to, to be a living sacrifice, to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. And, and it can be you know, a big task or something difficult. But tonight, we're looking at Sabbath. And, and as I consistently think through that mindset of kind of building the logical progression and looking at the text and and compelling, but then we were doing Sabbath and looking at Sabbath, and as a, it was almost just comical to me multiple times throughout the week as I'm preparing, that Sabbath shouldn't be something that anyone has to be compelled towards. It's one of the great benefits and blessings that God pours out upon us. It's one of his great designs. It's, it's the love letter at the end of creation that he gives us Sabbath. And he says, just stop, just rest, just be restored, be healed, be encouraged, just breathe in. And what part of that do we need to be compelled towards? And yet, I'm going to try to do that tonight. So, uh, so we're going to read through a text tonight, and we're going to look at Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the master of the Sabbath. He's the master of the ceremony for the Sabbath. It's his invention. It's his creation. Therefore, he gets to tell us what it is and how it's to be appreciated. So let's read our text for tonight. Let's read the whole thing. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 23, and then we'll read all the way through to verse 6 of chapter 3. All right, so it says in verse 23, it says, Now it happened that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, Jesus, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, Why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also he gave some to those who were with him. And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Just two of my favorite statements. So then chapter 3, verse 1, goes on with another story regarding the Sabbath. It says, And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, 
stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, his hand was restored, as whole as his other hand. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray. God of all blessing, our Father who is so incredibly good, I just feel like tonight we get to bask in your goodness. We get to breathe deep your restorative purposes and nature and plans for us. We get to just receive from you your very intentional and thoughtful and designed heart, Lord God. I just pray that we would receive all of it. Lord God, that it would be incredibly refreshing to us. We pray your blessing and your goodness upon us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up in Garden Road. Anyone here live in Garden Road? No? On the edge of Poway? Way over there? Okay. Uh, My family moved to Garden Road in third grade, and one of the biggest benefits and blessings of Garden Road was that we were right on the edge of the neighborhood, and there were just hills and fields all past there. Uh, Now, no doubt, I got in a lot of trouble in those hills and fields. I even got chased by a cop on horseback once, but that's not the story I'm telling right now. And uh, and, uh, and so we would go out into these fields, and we would participate in all sorts of activities. But our favorite from from fifth grade through seventh grade, whenever I tell stories from my childhood, it's we, because I have a twin brother. Uh, He doesn't look anything like me. Don't go looking for someone that looks like me. He does go here, but you'll never know we're related. Uh, But so we, one of our favorite activities, uh, was uh, BMX biking. We got into, you know, BMX bikes, and we would would, uh, ride them around. And then we, we really enjoyed going out into these fields and building jumps. And, uh, and so we would take our dad's shovels and tools, which, oh man, how many of those never came back? But uh, we'd take his tools and shovels, and we would go out there, and we would craft these jumps that we would ride on out of dirt, right? And so lots of digging and stuff. And, and as we got started, we would, you know, the, the whole purpose was let's just build jumps so that then we can jump it, so that we can go off of it and just fly through the air and enjoy, you know, uh, crashing uh, more often than I'd like. But, but we would just go out, you know, maybe spend an hour or two building jumps, and then just ride all the rest of the day. But as things progressed, it was kind of fun building jumps. And so we got further and further into building jumps. And we, we honestly, I'm, I was pretty proud of it. You know, looking back now, I know that I can't exactly trust my memory from that age group. But the way I remember it, they were glorious. That there was just all these paths and berms and jumps. And it was like a whole course. And it was pretty good because some, some high schoolers came, and even older guys, and they were like, these are great. And they started wanting to jump our jumps. And then they'd give us feedback. They're like, you should add a berm over there, and maybe you should make this one bigger and taller, and then you should put a bigger gap. You know? And then we wanted to impress them, so, so people would unfortunately dump trash in the field. It was across from Garden Road Elementary School. And we would drag the trash into the pits of our jumps to make them seem like more intense and cool and kind of, you know, uh, awesome jumps. And so, uh, so they were huge jumps then eventually with, with dangerous things in the middle that if you didn't clear it, it was going to not be good. And it got to the point where we had started building jumps for the joy of riding on them. But eventually it got to the point where it was backbreaking labor. And it got to the point where we built jumps that we couldn't even jump ourselves. We were building them to impress the older guys. We were building them so that people were like, this is amazing. But no longer were we jumping the jumps ourselves. We were spending all of our time just perfecting the, and building and sweating and dirty. 
And I was just, as I was thinking of this text this week and just thinking about, like, have I ever, like, lapsed from the purpose of something and just so far fallen from what its real purpose and blessing was, as the, as the Pharisees did with the Sabbath. And this is what I came to, was that this reminded me of that experience, that for the Pharisees, they began with something that was so good. And ultimately, and we'll look at the history in a minute of the Sabbath, but it was so good that they wanted to protect it. They wanted to go further into it. They wanted to make sure that it would, it would always be good. And, and like with me with these jumps, it got to the point where we, we had wandered so far from our original purpose, let's just make some jumps that are fun to ride, to where it got to the point where we couldn't, there, our jumps were too big, and all we ever did was sweat and build these jumps. And so I, I think of that as just a, an intro to this. As we look at the Sabbath, we look in this context of Jesus and how he dealt with it, that the Sabbath had been turned into something that was a legalized religious chore, kind of like our jump building turned into a chore. Uh, but then even for us, I would actually then say that for us, it's turned into now an afterthought. And so we want to look at today how Jesus dealt with it for their day, but then we also want to, to ask Jesus to show us how he would speak to us on the Sabbath. Because I don't think we have the same issue necessarily that the Pharisees had. And I also don't think that anywhere in scripture we can say that Jesus said, okay, now we're done with the Sabbath. I've fulfilled it. It's complete. You don't just ignore it. It doesn't apply to you. I don't think that's anywhere in scripture. And so God, how do you want to speak to us on the Sabbath? Uh, and, and the truth is, I believe that the Sabbath is, is potentially more important now than it's ever been. That we as Americans are so uh, prone to, to overwork, and we're so prone to just so many different ways in which uh, our need for Sabbath becomes more pivotal. Uh, one is, is that I don't think there's been time, many times in history, and this is something I, 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 I love history, and I, I love thinking about the, different, the difference between the different periods of history. And I think something that's unique to our period of history is, is job security. That for most of history, you either were self-employed, most of the world was self-employed for much of history, or you were kind of employed by like a family member. But, but today and over the last hundred years, we've come into a culture where job security is, is vital. Will I lose my job? I need to work to make sure I still have a job and I need to keep up and I need to do this. And so there's pressure and that builds up stress. And then there's the idea that we need to fight to earn new positions. There's this competitive nature to the way in which it all exists in our world today. And then once you've earned the position, you need to fight to keep the position. With that, there's all this discrepancy that, that, that now more than ever, there's a massive discrepancy between, between the higher level positions and the lower level positions. So you fight, fight, fight to get those higher level positions. And then you add on to that technology, the fact that we literally, we can't escape our work that our work follows us home, it's in our pockets, it's, it's with us at all times, uh, whether it's schoolwork or, or emails or whatever it is, that it's with us at all times. And then even beyond that, and this is something I think that God really intended for Sabbath, and yet it's more important now than ever, is that we more than ever find our identity in our work. That for much of history, I believe, uh, and cultural scientists have commented that, that, that for much of history, your, your identity was in your family, your identity was in your culture, 
and your people of origin. And, and there's definitely problems with that in much of the romantic novels that we read of, of uh, classics. They, they speak to the problems with that. But one of the problems that we have now is we find our identity in our work. We find our identity in our title. It's usually the first or second thing that comes up when you meet someone for the first time. And, and therefore, it's something that's constantly in front of us. What's my title? How does this define me? How does this give me value? How does this give me worth? And so as we look at Sabbath, I believe it's, it's potentially more important than ever that we have a, a proper approach and desire and blessing of Sabbath because it, it frees us from those other six days of the week. It's an opportunity for God to bring in a restoring, a replenishing, for us to be reoriented to seeing ourselves the way that he sees us to reminding us of our priorities and, and just refreshing us. And so in this, the Sabbath, it's not, just, it's not just rest from physical labor. It's not just to stop working. Sabbath is about deep rest for our souls. Sabbath is something more. And it's something that I've just am constantly amazed at. It's every single thing that God has designed and everything that God calls us to there's more to it than meets the eye. There's more to it than just what we think. We're constantly limiting things down to just what seems their most obvious function. A while ago, I had the opportunity to teach in here on Thanksgiving, and I, I shared the same thing about thankfulness, that we think of thankfulness as just something that is a good practice to make others feel appreciated. But I spent a whole message expounding on the fact that actually, when God calls us to thankfulness, there's layers and layers and layers and scientifically proven things now in modern times that prove that thankfulness is a blessing to us. And it goes far beyond our comprehension of how rich and deep it is. So even in Sabbath, I would argue and would, would propose to you guys that, that there's so much more than just stopping physical labor. There's so much more than just not working, but instead there's a real deep and spiritual rest that God has for us. That even you could argue it's, it's spiritual warfare of nature because the enemy is not going to have the same power, the same success when we are rested in our Savior, when we are consistently being reminded by our God in the practice of, of him speaking his blessings over us, which is a part of the Sabbath, that when we are reminded of who we are, when we're not just spiritually exhausted, when we're not just trying to keep up, when we're not full of stress, when we're not trying to outdo others, when we're not trying to keep up with others, how we are able to be filled up and resist the plight of the enemy. You know, some say, you know, uh, you hear them say, talking about the enemy and, you know, Satan doesn't take a day off. Well, since when do we take our strategies from Satan, right? <laughs> we don't exactly want to look at Satan saying, that's how I'm, if he doesn't take a day off, I'm not doing it enough. Well, he doesn't do things well. He's not our, he's not the person we're emulating. And so Sabbath is something that God blesses us with. It's rest from a needing to prove yourself. It's rest from needing to earn. It's rest from needing to accomplish. It's rest from needing to be someone. It's deep rest for your soul. God's great desire and plan for us in Sabbath is to bless us significantly. And so even as I was studying for this this week, it kind of actually just hit me this morning uh, that I've been doing this thing all week 
where when I've been studying and just God's truths are kind of just coming to light to me, as I've been studying, I've just been finding myself going like this, just, <sighs> like it's just even in studying about it, I feel like I've had little like Sabbath nuggets where he's just been blessed, just like, oh, that feels good. You know, like that feels good just to hear, just, to, just the concept. God, that's a blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And so the Sabbath is something that God wants to bless you with. And so I'm still in my intro, guys, and it's going to go for another minute. Because um, I wanted then, even before we dig in this te text, I feel it'd be good to give us a, a brief history of the Sabbath. So of course it begins, the Sabbath begins at creation on the seventh day, Genesis 2-3. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. We'll come back to that. Uh, number two, we're going to just jump in leaps and bounds. Uh, in Egypt, when they went into slavery, it was kind of the next pivotal moment in, in Sabbath because it was taken away from them. Slaves don't have the option of having a seventh day of rest. So the Sabbath was taken from them. We'll see this kind of happens a couple times. But then in uh, their exodus from slavery, uh, God re-implements the Sabbath, and he re-implements it as one of the Ten Commandments. And so in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It says a very similar thing to what it said in creation. It says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all of them that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so God established essentially a time that is holy. We oftentimes think of places that are maybe holy in our minds, or objects, or statues, or people, or practices that are holy. But God made a time holy. And it's actually really fascinating because he works in rhythms. He works in patterns. He works in a way where there's calendar to how he does things. And even as we've, we're talking about this week and that Feast of Trumpets is coming up, and there's, there's a purpose to him knowing we need to be reminded of things. We need things in our rhythm. And he established a seven-day week. And the crazy thing is that, that if you look throughout humanity, outside of Judeo-Christian cultures, there's seven-day weeks. And this is something that you see time and time again, that even people who are removed from anything related to God's design, anything related to scripture, they find their way towards the things that God designed within them. And so seven-day weeks is just a part of, it's, it's just everywhere throughout humanity. And God designed us to function this way. And, and so there's something to, that, that's in the time that he instituted. And so as they came out of Egypt, God re-implemented the Sabbath uh, amongst the people. However, they drifted away again from the Sabbath. And there was multiple layers of the Sabbath, and we're not going to go into really the, the Sabbath that God had for the land and these other things where he would, he would have uh, people be freed from their debt and stuff. But there, there's, there's many parts to how the Sabbath functioned outside of even the seven days. But the people of Israel, they wandered from God's Sabbath both for the land and for themselves. And in that, then God brought the judgment that led to the, the Israelites being taken into captivity, 
uh, by the Babylonians and then eventually the Medes and the Persians. And, and he says that part of it was that he would take back those years because they hadn't given the land rest and they hadn't been taking their own rest. And so, so they were taken into captivity in part because they weren't honoring God with the Sabbath and all the different various forms of it. And so in Babylonian captivity, they had no Sabbath. But then coming out of Babylonian captivity, Ezra, so in the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah, right, in the, the book of the Israelites coming out, there's three main figures. There's Nehemiah, Ezra, and there's Zerubbabel. Well, Ezra viewed it as one of his responsibilities to help reinstitute Sabbath practice. And with that, he made it a point of emphasis. And he started something that, that nowadays uh, the historians call the Great Assembly, which was ultimately the precursor to the Pharisees. And their job was to essentially uh, help care for the people spiritually and, and lots of good things. But one of them was to kind of guard the Sabbath. But from there, it turned into something more. And this is where kind of like with my, my bike jumping, dirt jumps, turning into something, it turned into something that started good. This is important. We need to be disciplined. We need to be intentional about the Sabbath. But it turned into eventually the, the, the part of the Mishnah where they had 39 categories, 613 laws, and they had so, so many rules and laws about the Sabbath. And what actually happened was the Sabbath became this like, you know how in today in different time periods, different generations, we have these like really pivotal, central issues that, that everyone wants to discuss, everyone wants to debate. Well, the Sabbath was theirs. And so it was constantly discussed. And even to this day, Pastor Danny was telling me as we were talking about this, even to this day, they're still debating the Sabbath and all of its rules. And they came up with the, these crazy rules like you can't tie a knot except for like your clothing. And so, so the women were allowed to tie a knot on their clothing. And so they would then sometimes, they would then come up with workarounds where they would tie a knot to a bucket to put down into the well because they're allowed to do that. And, and they had the distance they were allowed to travel from their house and just all sorts of rules and regulations. And so ultimately, the world that Jesus came into was a, was a place where they had perverted the Sabbath into something that God was not ever intending it to be. They had taken this blessing, this beautiful, restorative blessing, and they had turned it into to shackles around their ankles. They had turned it into a chore. They had turned it into this incredibly difficult task. And so here Jesus is, and it's not unintentional. It's not by accident that he deals with the Sabbath so much because it's one of the prime issues that display how they just took all of these things that God had meant for blessing and they, they, had, they turned them into a chore. They turned them into something that was just religious upon religious and, and, and rules and regulations to earn. So in our text, he says, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And I think of just the beauty of the moment Right? I actually titled in my notes, my own personal notes, a, a nice walk spoiled. Because just they're walking through a field of grain on Sabbath. How is that not blessing? And as they walk, they do something that's really the equivalent of like picking a, up a, uh, like a sunflower seed, but just it's on the top of, of a stem of grain. And as they walk, they grab some grain, right? And they're just, they're talking. They're with Jesus. They're discussing, you know, whatever it is that Jesus is discussing, you know, and, and they, as they walk, they just, they open it and they toss it in their mouth. And they're chewing on it. 
And this is what the Pharisees have a problem with. The Pharisees come to them and say, how can you let them do this? How can you let them do what's not lawful on the Sabbath? Because according to the Mishnah, they would have actually argued that they broke three rules of the Sabbath by walking through a beautiful grain field and just grabbing a head of grain and opening it and throwing it in their mouth. They said they broke three rules of the Mishnah, that they, they were reaping, literally they were reaping a harvest, that they were winnowing, which is you know, to get the husk off of it, you know, cracking the, the sunflower seed type thing. And then they were preparing food, that somehow both of those added up into preparing food. And so they said, how can you let the disciples do this thing that is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so Jesus responded to them. He said, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting response. He said, but he said to them, have you never read what David did? Now, uh, for us to read this, we kind of can, you know, oh, he said, have you never read what David did? Because if you say that to me, I'd say, I think I have, you know? Or if I said, yeah, 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 that, that thing in the, in the temple, right? But he said this to people who have memorized the Old Testament. He said this to people who, who the thing they prided themselves upon the most was their knowledge of the whole Old Testament. And above and beyond anyone else, they would know David and Moses. And so you weren't going to come up with something that, that they haven't heard about. Like, they'd be like coming to me, I'm just, I love food. And someone asked me if I had a food reference in the sermon. So they'd be like someone coming to me, like, have you heard about this bakery or that bakery? Have you heard about Compagnie? Like, yeah, I've heard about Compagnie, you know? Like, have you heard, like, because, yes, that's something I love and I am going to, you know. They, so they came to the, the Pharisees, have you heard about what David did? Uh, and so he's... He's needling them a little bit. He's, he's not being, this is the term my wife sometimes says, like, Jared, don't be confront, confrontational. And I'm saying, I'm not confrontational. I'm just not non-confrontational. And so I'm, I'd like to think it's a healthy amount. Okay. And so, um, so he's, being not, he's not being non-confrontational. Uh, and he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? And he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. So the story from 1 Samuel 21, David was, his, his men around him, they were in need, they went in, they, they took bread, and you never find anywhere in scripture where they're condemned for this. You never see anything in there where it shows how, how that wasn't something they were supposed to do. And so Jesus says, have you ever read this? And, he, and what he's saying to them, he's saying that, that the principle here is that human need is more important than religious ritual. That everything that God implements, everything that God does is, is to bless us. And it doesn't mean that there's not still rules and it doesn't mean there's still not things that we avoid. And absolutely, it doesn't nullify the laws of God. But this thing, the Sabbath, and what he's about to say, it was meant to bless us. It wasn't meant to be something to bind us. It wasn't meant to be a prison that we're put in one day of the week to not do all the things we want to do. It was meant to bless us. And so he says, haven't you read what David did when he was in need? He went and got the bread that technically he wasn't supposed to eat. And yet Abithar was fine with it. The high priest was fine with it. They were okay with it. They gave him the bread. And so Jesus then says, he says, to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
It was made to bless us, not to restrict us, not to limit us. And so I think the interesting thing here, though, as we look at this, the second half of that statement, and not man for the Sabbath, is what the Pharisees needed to hear. He's saying this was made for your blessing, not so that you could be imprisoned by it, a slave to the Sabbath. So they needed to hear that the purpose isn't for you to serve the Sabbath. The purpose is for the Sabbath to serve you. So they needed to hear that second part. The purpose isn't for you to serve the Sabbath. I think we need to hear the first part more so, that the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was something that God made for us. It's something that God made for humanity. Uh, Humanity, we don't worship the Sabbath. We don't prove our holiness with the Sabbath. We don't avoid being condemned by the Sabbath. Instead, we're blessed and filled up by the Sabbath. The Sabbath is something that was given to us. It was offered to us. And just like salvation, it's something that we just get to receive the blessing. It takes a decision. It takes some intentionality to walk in the Sabbath, but it's meant to bless us. G. Campbell Morgan says, any application of Sabbath law which operates to the detriment of man is out of harmony with God's purpose. Let me say that again. Any application of Sabbath law which operates to our detriment is out of harmony with God's purpose. God's purpose is to fill us up, is to bless us. And it's all throughout scripture. Let me read a few other spots. In Hosea 6, 6, it says that he desires mercy before sacrifice. In Isaiah 58, it says that love to others is more important than religious rituals. In Psalm 51, 17, it says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That continually, it's the purpose. And they had missed the forest for the trees. They had completely missed the forest for the trees. You know, there's two statements that are just common. That's one of them. But there's two statements that are incredibly common that so apply to our text tonight. So that's the first one for looking at what the, how the Pharisees approached this and that statement that we just looked at, where it said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. For them, they missed the forest for the trees. They were so focused on what was right in front of them and their religion and their rules and their structure and all of it that they missed the whole purpose. But then I think for us, and the Sabbath was made for man, is that the other saying that, that applies for us is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. That there was something wrong, there was something stinky here about the Sabbath. And so Jesus was dealing with the Sabbath. But here in his next statement, what we have to realize is he never tells them, and so the Sabbath is fulfilled and it's done. Stop worrying about it. He never says that. Instead, he says the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And so we see throughout Scripture, you know, throughout the New Testament, we think of the Pharisees as almost like the bad guys. But when it says he's angered with them later, he's also grieving for them because he loves them and he wants to bless them and they won't let him bless them. And so he deals with this thing, the Sabbath, because it so represents God's heart for humanity and how humanity turns it into religion when he wants them to just receive his salvation. And so he deals with the Sabbath He deals with the Pharisees, but they're not the bad guys, and Sabbath is not the problem. 
Sabbath is a blessing, and he actually calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath, and he says it's something that he has done. He has made for man, not man for the Sabbath, but for man the Sabbath was made. And so he goes on, he says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is a huge statement of his authority. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and he created the Sabbath. And he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, making himself equal with God. And in this, he means he knows how to Sabbath best. He knows how Sabbath is to best function. So he's saying, you're telling me how this works, and I'm telling you I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and I made it to bless you, not to be this regulation and restricting thing. So he doesn't denounce it. Instead, he says it's a good thing that was all his plan, all his purpose, all his design. And so it's to be a blessing and not a laborious chore. It's to be restorative and not depleting. And so we move on to this next text uh, where we have Jesus walking into the synagogue. And it says, and he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. This is crazy. Jesus enters the synagogue, and there's a man who they've seen, because this is not a large city where you don't just, they know people. There's a man who's lived his life with a hand that's crippled, that's withered. And so like a trap, they're watching Jesus to see how he'll approach this situation. And what's incredible here is they don't doubt his capability and they don't doubt his compassion. They have all the confidence in the world in his ability to heal a crippled hand, and yet that doesn't give them pause about what's going on here. That doesn't cause them to stop and say, should we really be worried about how he approaches the Sabbath, or should we not be amazed that we have no doubt he can heal a crippled hand, right? The forest for the trees. That they are missing so much. And then even that they know he, he will be compassionate. And so they rub their hands together to watch and see how he would handle this situation. I honestly, this might be a weird thing to say, but I hope that someday someone sets a trap for me like that. That they're so confident in my character and godliness that they say, he's going to do the godly right thing here. Let's get him, right? Like Daniel, right? They implement this rule about prayer because they know they'll get him. I want, I want, I know, I mean, I don't really want the repercussions, but I want someone to set a trap for me someday like that because I'm so clockwork with my love and compassion and spirit-filledness that they know I won't be able to resist. I hope I'm susceptible to traps like that. And so they watched him closely, expectant that he would, he would heal. And they just missed it. And we'll see here, he's angered, but he's also grieved. He's angered because it so upsets him that they won't receive his blessing. It so upsets him that they miss this healing that he has for this man. It's like, it's like if I could fly, literally Superman, just start flying. And, and then someone came along and wanted to ask if I had a pilot's license. You know, everyone around, like, he's flying without a plane, without any contraption. He's just flying. And you're like, but does he have a pilot's license? It's like, that's not the issue here, right? And so they're stuck on the Sabbath. 
And Jesus is, is grieved, he's saddened, and yet what we see is it's in his nature, and it's not only in his nature, it's in the nature of Sabbath to restore. And so he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Now this man had spent his life trying to hide his hand, but Jesus brings him to the center, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. When he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, as whole as the other. Miraculous. And the Pharisees went out, and they immediately plodded with the Herodians. The Herodians were their, like, enemies. The Herodians were those who sided with the Greeks and the Romans, and and they butted heads constantly with the Pharisees. And yet they went out together in unity over their hard-heartedness, and they plotted how they would destroy Jesus. But the issue here is that Jesus, Jesus was implementing the real purpose of Sabbath. And that is the purpose of Sabbath is to restore, to rejuvenate, to bring life. He intended to tear down their misconceptions, but he intended also to breathe, breathe life into this man's crippled hand. And there's something powerful there because the Sabbath brings life. There's actually a powerful image of this in, in the creation narrative where we read a few seconds ago, uh, but let's read again just a few things. Uh, there's three things in the creation narrative where it says that he blessed it and he he breathed life into it. Uh, with the creation of animals in chapter 1, verse 20 of Genesis, it says, so God created the great creatures, and God saw that it was good, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the waters and seas, and let the bird increase on the earth. So he said, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase. And then in uh, verse 27, with humanity. So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then, it's different, but there's a similarity. He says, on the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, God doesn't need to rest. But in this, he blessed it. And those are the only three that he blessed in the creation narrative. And in this, I believe he was speaking to the restorative, the life-giving nature of Sabbath. That there is something powerful that takes place in our lives. There is something powerful that washes over us. And in this, he was implementing this, this Sabbath rhythm, that there was to be a practice, that it would be holy, the seventh day, uh, that, that it would be something that he instituted to be a part of our very manner in which we walked through life, that we, we six days we work, and on the seventh, we're restored. We're rested, we're rejuvenated, we're reminded that our lives aren't about the work, our lives are about him. Because constantly when God implements things in our lives, whether it's communion in the New Testament, whether it's the Feast of Trumpets in the Old Testament reminding us that he's coming again, when he, when he gives us these things, it's because he knows that we need them. Again, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's also the Lord of humanity. 
And he knows our frailties and he knows our weaknesses and he knows what we need. So we need to be reminded that he died for us on the cross and that it's only by the blood that we are saved. We need to be reminded of the fact that he rose from the death, from the grave. And so we, we celebrate. We need to be reminded of all these things that he implemented. And so he knew what we needed. And so he blessed the Sabbath to give us life restored, not just stopping work, but but worshipful, stopping and worshiping and resting and looking to him and receiving from him. And so I believe that Sabbath is a form of spiritual warfare. It's a way in which we fight back against the enemy's lies beating down upon us. Each week, we wash ourselves in Sabbath rest. We wash ourselves from those lies. John Mark Comer uh, has a lot of good stuff on this in one of his quotes is, it is very difficult for the enemy to wreck the life of tempt ruin, or destroy the life of someone who is well-rested, present to the moment, spiritually happy, and alive in God. And so God calls us to Sabbath. And this is not something that I do naturally well. Uh, It's been, my friends have said about me that I have no chill, uh, that I don't don't slow down, and, and I don't take breaks well. And so this is a journey that actually this is something God's been doing in our lives and our family's lives for a little while now, that he's been kind of bringing us into Sabbath. You know, and for times, there's times where we do it for half a day and we block out half a day, Lord, and we, this is what we have, you know, and our kids are in sport. But we try to get a whole day and, and there's some different practices and things that we try and pursue. And, and it, 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 none of it's religion, none of it's mandatory. None of it's you're going to condemn yourself if you don't walk in this, but all of it is, God, I value this, and so I'm going to seek to Sabbath well. I'm going to seek to lean into this. I'm going to be intentional with how I approach this. So I want to give you guys uh, a few parts of just encouragement in how to Sabbath well as we kind of wrap up this text. And so the first one is, and I've kind of already said this, but Sabbath is not just a day off. It's not just a day off. It's a day for reorienting yourself as a son and a daughter of God, of the king. It's a day for healing. It's a day for reinvigorating, life-giving, refreshing. It's a day for nearness. This is the most important one, with your father in heaven. And it's key that we understand that, because if it's just a day off, we might catch up on some sleep, but there's not that, that ministry to our soul that God wants to do. And so then here's some of the basics. Number two, the basics is uh, set a day. Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying. We're resting from everything. Uh, Delight in the Lord. Uh, Curate joy. Put some effort into the joy of the day. Uh, Scientists, uh, not scientists, psychologists have this term called pleasure stacking, which is basically just putting good things upon good things upon good things, you know? It's like, just bless yourself in a day. Uh, and, and so, why, again, this brings back to my very, one of my very first points is, this isn't a hard thing to compel us towards, right? Uh, that God intends to bless us. Pleasure stack, that's part of the design of the day. Worship in all the ways that you can. Stop and worship. Worship him in every single breath. Worship him in all of your activities. Worship him in all of your actions. Maybe even consider a digital Sabbath, turning off the phone, turning things off. But the key is to start wherever you're at, four hours, eight hours, half a day, maybe two different half days. Uh, And then the next one is 
begin and end with a marked moment. Signify the beginning and the end of Sabbath. The, in Israel, for, their, for the Judaism, for their Sabbath, it is Shabbat begins Sabbath. And they light some candles. They, the fathers speak blessings over each of their children. And they, they eat a spoonful of honey to remind themselves of the sweetness of all that God has designed for us. And so have moments that signify that the Sabbath has begun. My personal recommendation would be that it's something like a large pan of cinnamon rolls or, or just some like amazing treat, you know? That's the one I want to do is just sit down with cinnamon rolls and just bless my kids with words of encouragement and verses that God would have for them. And then, and then end with it. Just thank him for his goodness and for his restoring. And then uh, the, one of the things is if you're going to do this well, you have to prepare. It's not just something that happens. You don't just stop and have nothing need to be done. And so for me, it's, you know, Sabbath is Saturday because I work on Sundays. And, uh, and so uh, lots of laundry on Friday, cleaning the house because I'm so neurotic that I can't even, I can't sit still and rest if there's stuff everywhere and if the carpet needs to be vacuumed. So I do all that the day before so that my Sabbath can really be peaceful and resting. And, uh, and so you prepare, you know? And then the laundry maybe is finished on Sunday for us and you, you, you plan your Sabbath. You get your bills done on different days. You do the work, you pleasure stack on Sabbath, you work stack on other days, but it's worth it. Uh, and then one of the things to remind you of is just that everyone's Sabbath is different. Um, for my wife, Sabbath is sleeping in and then taking a nap at like 10 o'clock. Um, my, it's, uh, it's, for me on, on a Sabbath, I can go and play tennis, I can go for a run, and it's Sabbath. Uh, for my wife, she can yard work and call that Sabbath. I'm not going to do any yard work on Sabbath. That I am, that's not Sabbathing well for me. My wife, she can clip. Pastor Daniel and Jill, actually, we, go, we hike with them a lot, and uh, they call her the clipper. Uh, the snipper, sorry, the snipper, because she brings snippers with her and just loves to snip and do things. Uh, and, uh, and so th there's different ways in which diff each of us can Sabbath. Some will involve more sleep. Some will involve more eating. Some will involve exercise. Some will have no exercise. That's not Sabbath for some of us. And so God calls us to Sabbath well to rest in him, to breathe in all of his blessings. And every single bit of it is blessing from the Lord of the Sabbath, from the Lord of humanity, from the one who's designed us and loves us and just calls us to be refreshed. Let's pray. God, you're so good. It's your goodness that draws us to repentance. It's your goodness that draws us to obedience. It's your goodness that causes us to delve deeper. And all that we find is just more of your goodness, more of your grace poured out upon us, more of your thoughts towards us, Lord God, more of your blessings for us. You are so incredibly good to us. And so we want to worship you now. We want to breathe deep, Lord God, all of your all of your truths, all of your grace, all of your love. We thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.